Okay, let's make sure everything is coming through. I'm going to do a check right here. Okay, let's see how we sound. One, two, one, two. Okay, let's make sure everything is coming okay, through. Okay, sounding great. I'm going to do a Share check Share it with right your here. friends if you would like to. Let them know okay. that they can join us. One, two, one, two. Join me okay, for... Chapel. Share it with your friends if you would like All to. All right. That they can join us. Okay. And then I should be able to do this as I just check to see how it looks here as I switch to my Bible app. All right. Okay. And then I should be able to do this as I just check to see how it looks here as I switch to my Bible app. Okay, for some reason, I'm getting a little bit of an echo, but uh, one, two, one, two, I'm going to turn this down, and I should be all the way good. Okay. Okay. Let's open up to John chapter one, verse one. Make sure one, two, one, two. All right, I got it. Okay, John chapter one, verse one. We have been going over this the last few weeks, and I hope that you have been enjoying it. And it is going to be also our sermon series starting here at Metro Praise next week. We're going to be going through the book of John. And uh, we're going to be talking about in the beginning for next week, Sunday. But uh, today, I want to talk about before your beginning. So you guys have been hearing about this passage for a little bit. Let's get into it, and let's read it, and let's expound on it. Uh, Genesis, uh, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Let's read verse 5 together. One, two, three. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let us think about this in the beginning passage as we reflect back to Genesis chapter 1. Let's reflect back to Genesis chapter 1 and see where John is bringing us to with that phrase in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So this is um, 
what we may say a helpful coincidence, when they came up with the verses, which came later into the Bible, the Bible was first originally written without verses, but when they came up for verses, the first five verses of Genesis very much are in line with the first five verses of John. And so what we see here is that both of them start off with, in the beginning. Now in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. So he introduces into the beginning this person called the Word who was not uh, introduced in uh, this particular way in Genesis chapter 1. So what is he doing right here? He is telling us that when Genesis chapter 1 was happening, there was also a person there called the Word that was making it happen, that the Word was there. Now what is profound about this is that all the other Gospels, they start off with the genealogy of Jesus, uh, or at least you know, Matthew and Luke start off with the genealogy of Jesus, which really just kind of tells his story of where he came from. And, and Mark just kind of jumps right into his ministry. But nonetheless, John takes you way back, not just to his grandparents, not just to his great-great-grandparents, not even just to Adam and Eve. He takes you way back before there was anything, in the beginning. And he says, there's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And so what we realize is that the Word is from eternity. The Word has no beginning. I just saw some disturbing surveys of what they found out about churches right now and that not only do we have the idea of gay marriage wrong, about 40% think it's okay, about 10% don't know, for, so about 50% are on the wrong side of it. They should definitely know, right? Not only are we having problems with salvation, uh, people believe that there's other ways to have an and they're in the church. They believe that, that uh, you know, that there's not going to be a punishment for good people, that only bad people go to hell. No idea of the grace of God. But there is also a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. A lot of them were surveyed, and they said that Jesus was the first creation of God. That's why he's called the Son of God. He's the first creation of God. Can you hold to that position and really understand John 1.1? You can't. You cannot hold to that position if you understand John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. This is telling you that there was never a time that there wasn't the Word. The Word has always been there, always. Now, somebody like a Jehovah Witness may say, well, what about before the beginning? Could he have been created? And I showed you guys last week that according to Colossians, whenever the beginning of creation started and everything that was created began to come into being, heavens and earth as Genesis says, Colossians says all those things were created by him, right? And even in this passage, in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, through him, how many things were made? All things. Now watch this. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So is Jesus in the category of things made or unmade? Unmade. Unmade. He is unmade. What is in the category of unmade? Divinity. That's it. Only God is unmade. Only God is the uncaused cause of everything else. Only God is eternal. Is the universe made or unmade? 
made. Now, when we talk about this in philosophy, we talk about necessity and unnecessity. And so God is a necessary being. The universe is not a necessary thing. The universe doesn't necessarily have to exist. But God has to exist. And when you look at the Bible here, it says, through him all things were made. All things were made. Now, those of you who want to know more about the necessity of God, because I don't want to leave you hanging there. That might have been a great, that may have been a great thought for some of you. You need to look at William Lane Craig's website, or Facebook page rather, and look at the video, The Ontological Argument. And it will explain to you why God is the only and first necessary being. Uh, or, or anything. We could say being because we know he's a being, but we could also say thing, object. He is the only necessary thing. Only necessary thing. Now, we cannot fall into that trap of believing that Jesus is a created being. Not according here. All created things he created. Who created all created things? Jesus. We could say God as in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but particularly who here in John chapter 1 is said to be the person of God that created all things through him. Who is the him there? Jesus, the Word. Now, we know that Arianism teaches or tries to teach, like through Jehovah Witnesses and this ancient uh, uh, heresy, that Jesus was created. But that is not true. According to this context, he created all created things. He is not a created thing. So they try to add the article before the word God, and the word was a God. They then believe in polytheism. There is the great Jehovah God, Almighty God. Then he creates a smaller, mighty God called Jesus. But there are not two gods. There's only one God. There's not two creators. There's only one creator. There's not two sources of light, only one source of light. And they err in putting an article there. The reason why they put an article there is because they say that the Greek phrase here, theos, theos, does not have, um, does not have the, um, oh, it's not the article. It's, it, it doesn't have, oh, what is that word? It doesn't have something, and they think they need to add the article there. But what it really becomes, what it really becomes is a predicate nominative, as we have learned before. And it's good for me to repeat some of these things to you. Uh, they add the article A here because they believe that um, because theos does not have the ho in front of it. Or the, or the I think it's, it, it is the article. They add, yes, they add A because it does not have an article before it. Correct. Okay, so I was confusing myself there. Now look at this, look at this last phrase here. Kai ho logos in theos. Now, the reason why they say they need to add the A there, the A there, and say, and the word was a God, is because God does not have the article as it does in the prior section, tan theon. Tan is the article. Does everybody see that? Okay. And then when it talks about the word here, how it says ho theos, you see? Okay. And so what they believe is that when the subject is God, and it has an article, the tan, the before it, 
that it means that that is the one God, the mighty God. But what they don't understand, as I've showed you before, and I don't want to get into the technicality of it with you guys again. That's already, I've already dealt with it technically. I've showed you the articles, and I actually confused you today because I confused myself, so I'm going to try to unconfuse us, is that um, when you see here the whole logos was with God, and there's no article, what they're going to say is now that was, uh, instead of God being a person, that that means that now uh, this, this is not talking about mighty God. This is talking about a lesser form of God, like how Satan is a God. But we taught you that when you have two nouns in the same part of a sentence, and one has the article and the other one doesn't, the one that doesn't becomes a descriptive of the noun, and it's called a predicate nominative. Are you with me on that? Predicate nominative. And that's where God now becomes the descriptor of the word. And it is good, it is good that the word is not there, that the article is not there, because then it would be saying, like how they assume it would, they say it has to have the article, and then it would mean that it's God Almighty. But see, the Trinity does not believe the Word is God Almighty in the sense that God is the uh, that the Word is the Father. That's where their confusion comes in, is that they believe God is one person, that is the Father. And so if that did have the article, they would actually be not true as an Arianist. Who would be true? The Sabellianist, who believes that Jesus is the Father. Do you understand? Okay, so since it doesn't have the article there, it becomes a descriptive. It becomes a descriptive, and the description now says basically that uh, Jesus is divine as the Father is divine. Now, let me just uh, share this with you so that you can see it again in writing so that we don't get confused here, okay? Let me just give it to you here. And the word was fully God. This is the N-E-T. Now, let me help you understand this. Do you see this right here? Okay, or, and what God was, the word was. Caldwell's rule is often invoked to support the translation of theos as definite God rather than indefinite a God here. However, Caldwell's rule merely permits but does not demand that a predicate nominative ahead of an equative verb be translated as definite rather than indefinite. Furthermore, Cowell's rule did not deal with a third possibility that the anthros, predicate noun, may have more of a qualitative nuance when placed ahead of a verb. A definite meaning for the term is reflected in the traditional reading, the word was God. For a tech, oh, here we go. For a technical, for a technical stand from a technical standpoint though it is preferable to see a qualitative a aspect to anthros theos and john 1 1 c translations like the neb reb and mofet are helpful in capturing the sense in john 1 1 c that the word was fully deity in essence does everybody see that Okay, now once again, this may be hard for some of you to understand, but you have to begin to get it, okay? If it had the article, ho theos, then this is how we would translate it. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was the exact God that he was with. Do you understand? But since it doesn't have 
that article, whole theos. It just has theos there. It literally becomes, it becomes a descriptive of the word logos. It describes the logos, and that's where we get, guys, the idea of the predicate nominative, okay? Now, I'm going to show you in one more commentary here so that you guys can be able to get it and understand it even more clearly so that there will be no confusion, okay? No confusion here. Let me get to Keener's commentary on John 1.1. This is not it. Let me get to Keener. It's not in there. Here we go, Keener. Let me search for it up here. Somebody explain it to me in your own words to see if you guys are getting it. Um, go ahead and explain it to me, Ashley. Why don't we put the word, uh, the, the, the article, um, the letter A in, into this passage here? Yes. Exactly. Amazing. I'm so glad you got that. I'm so glad. Sometimes because I'm messing things up, I, I think that it's gotten confusion, but I'm glad that I got to clarify because I was thinking, what is the article? And it just it had my mind... You know, my mind was in a different direction there. And so let me just go here one more time into the 1C so that you guys can see it right here, okay, and so that you can understand why this is the way it is, okay? This is now Craig Keener. Many commentators doubt that the anthros construction signifies anything theological at all. And what this means, anthros construction means that God does not have the article before it. That's what it's talking about. In Greek, when the noun does not have the article in front of it, it is called an anthros. So the anthros construction signifies anything theological at all. It certainly cannot connote a God, as in one among many, given Jesus' unique titles, roles, and relationships with the Father later in the gospel. Nor should it mean just divine in a weaker sense, distinct from God's own divine nature. For example, in the sense which Philo can apply it to Moses, like you're divine. Oh, that's so divine. It's not just a weak divine. It's the God divinity, okay? It's like equal to God. Had John meant merely divine in a more general sense, the common but more ambiguous expression of tan theon. See, there's the article, tan theon and uh, was already available. Thus, for example, Philo repeatedly refers to the divine word, and Aristus refers to the divine law. The anthros construction cannot be produced to, uh, cannot be pressed to produce the weaker sense of merely divine, in a sense distinct from the character of the Father's deity, like there's another kind of divine. It's distinct. You guys get this? In one study, about 250 definite predicate nominatives, predicate nominatives, that is when one word is in the anthros construction. construction. It doesn't have its article in front of it. It acts as a predicate nominative. 90% were articular when 
following the verb, but a comparable 83% were anthros when before the verb as here, descriptive. Grammatically, one thus would expect John's predicate nominative theos to be anthros, regardless of the point he was making. Further, John admits the article for God the Father elsewhere in the gospel, even elsewhere in the same chapter. So when you go here to John chapter 1, verse 6, you will see here that the article is missing. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John 1.6, let me open it up, and you'll see that the, um, it is also missing there. So it doesn't just mean that there is a lesser form of deity when God is not mentioned. John 1.6, sent from God. And you see right here, sent from Theo. No article before Theo. Does everybody see that? No article before that. So he's saying it's... It's not even applicable here. The same pattern of inconsistent use should appear as an early patristic text and apparently Greek literature in general. And in a context where absolute identification with the Father would be less of a danger, John does not balk at using the articular form to call Jesus ho theos. Because in the end of John, remember we talked about the end of John summarizes the whole book of John. He starts off with in the beginning, this is who Jesus is. He comes in the flesh. He does all of these signs. And at the end, he is now worshiped as God, my Lord and my God, and he actually has the article, ho theos. There's no confusion that this is talking about the actual uh, God equal to the Father. Now, let me just make sure that I got here anthros construction. I want to make sure that I have this right for you guys. Anthros construction, I want to uh, do here because I want to make sure, because um, I said that was a construction when it's not in front of the article, and I want to... Um, want to go check that here. So let me just make sure. What is an anthros construction? That's what we're looking at. Anthros construction is without distinct, oh yeah, used without the article. So I was right. That's what I said. An anthros construction was when something is used without the article. And in this, con in this situation, it is where um, the word uh, the God, the word God did not have the article before it. Does that make sense? Oh, Jesus, help us. Maybe next time I should um, move, just move past this point entirely, you know, just stop messing with it. But do you get something out of it every time I go through it? Does it help you refocus yourself? You'll be so good at it that it will really flow from you naturally as you meet people that object to how we interpret this. But let me now, we do have at least another 15, 20 minutes, so let me get into the message here. Oh, let me just quote, close it out by saying this. If the article would have been there, this, the, the Sabellianist, the oneness Pentecostal would be right because then it doesn't act as a predicate nominative. The word theos doesn't act as a predicate nominative. It would be literally referring to a direct noun of God, and that person would be the father in this verse. So it would literally read like this if the article would be there. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with the father, and Jesus was the father. That's what it would mean. So the oneness would be right. The article not being there works in our favor and is not what the Jehovah Witnesses say. That's why we've always believed in the divinity of Jesus and rejected that heresy a long time ago. They just thought they were smart by trying to resurrect it, but they were really, they were really uh, ignoramuses. 
when they were retranslating their Bible and they were actually brought to court for perjury, for lying, saying they could put things in Greek. And they actually, in the, in the courts, they actually asked him to read Greek. Uh, Charles Taze Russell, they said, read Greek then. And he could not read Greek. So this was a big deal back then. And so he, he perjured himself and lied. He could not read Greek. He wanted to change this. And so he probably just looked at dictionaries and just saw like, oh, there's an article missing or something like he was reading just as a guy in the library and goes, oh, we could put, we could put a God here because there's no article, hotheos or atantheon, whatever. There's no definite article here. So that means it's, it's not the, uh, you know, it's not the uh, full divinity here. And, and there's like, no, 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 this, this is why it's always been translated like this. This is how it fits into the context. And even John elsewhere refers to God without the article before and all those things we just learned. So the Jehovah Witness is absolutely wrong. We do not believe in two gods. The Sabellianist is wrong because Jesus is not the Father. Let's keep going now. The message today. Here we go. That was the introduction. The message today. Before your beginning. Before your beginning. There's something about John 1.1 that captures all of my imagination, that captures all of my heart. And I am really um, just in love with this passage altogether. But John 1.1 1, 1 does something to me special. I, I hope that you can get it. And here is something that I'm actually thinking about doing as well for, um, for uh, Sundays. Having us start off by singing this passage right here where it says, um, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. This part right here. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Here's what speaks to me from that song as I think about this passage right here. Thou my best thought by day or by night, in the beginning, was the word. In the beginning was my Jesus. Before there was ever me, there was Jesus. Before there was ever a problem in my life, there was Jesus. Before there was ever the devil and the fall of Satan, the demons, the curse of mankind, there was my Jesus. And when I think about him, And how he stands outside of time, untouched by all the problems that I have faced here. Uh, I shouldn't say untouched because he came into humanity, but you know what I mean? Unchanged. um, Well, we could say he changed when he came into the flesh. Uh, But let me say it like this. Unmoved. Unmoved. We got moved from the throne. Let me me say it because he came down into the flesh. Let me say it one more way. When I think about unshakable, no, but I got a better one. Don't interrupt me because I want to get it out my thought. I, I know some of you could put it in your words, but let me put it in my words. I need help with this, Jesus. When I meditate on this passage, I think about how he transcends. I think about how he transcends. Yes, he came into the flesh to be close to us. Yes, Jesus is intimate. But I understand that the divine nature of the word 
transcends everything here. And I want to encourage you with this. I want you to get this in your heart, that he has your entire life in his hands. From beginning to end and everything in between. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You are made because of him. He initiated, initiated and performed your very existence. It was his idea for you to be here. Before there was ever an idea for you to be here, it was him. And then he came up with you, the idea of you, the idea of your existence was in his heart. Think about that. Psalm 139 talks about he has all the days of my life written in his book. I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb. He knew me before I knew myself. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And we see here that life doesn't come from non-life. Mind does not come from matter. Life came from the Word. Life came from the Word. And even after the curse upon your body may bring death to this organism, the life He gave you will still live on. Because you were made now to be an immortal being. Your soul is immortal. And so you will carry on either in eternal life or eternal death. So have you been born again? Since the fall of Adam and Eve, we died and now we are dying. Died spiritually instantly and are dying physically. And you could even say as a human race we are dying and the planet is dying and, and, and the stars are dying and the sun is dying. But one day he's going to make it all new and it will exist forever. You will have a body that will exist forever. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I can just see Jesus breathing into us. You see, when you look back into the beginning and you get into the creation of mankind, there is God literally forming man. Who is the person of God getting his hands in the clay? Who is that person? Jesus forming us. Who is the one that breathes into us? No, Jesus. But what does he breathe? His Holy Spirit. When do we see that again? The breath of Jesus coming to us, giving us the Holy Spirit. No, not in Acts. Very close. But when do we see it again? If you don't know, you don't have to guess. Just say, I don't know. But here we have John. And it's okay to guess if you're close, if you think you know. But look at what John says right here, uh, the Gospel of John. Jesus comes to them, and look what he does here. Jesus does in the Gospel of John exactly what he had did in the times prior with, in the time prior with Adam. Again, Jesus said, John chapter 20, verse 21, uh, peace be with you. Everybody say peace. 
Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he, he what? Come on, pay attention. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Who was that one that breathed on us in the garden? Jesus. Who did the Father send to walk with us in the cool of the day? Jesus. Who was the one that was grieved with us when we sinned and asked us, where were we hiding? Jesus. Jesus was before your beginning. Jesus was before your sin. Jesus was before your curse. Jesus was before You even existed. Jesus was before your fall. Jesus was after your fall there to restore you. Jesus has always been there. He is before. He is in the future. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He surrounds us. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What do I think that light is? I think that light is our conscience. And it's the conscience that God uses to awaken us to salvation, to convict us, to show us his mercy and grace. I believe this is the same conscience that's referred to in Romans chapter 1 where it says no one is without excuse because they can see that which is made. This is where our conscience came from. Life did not arise from non-living things by accident. Mind did not come from matter. Life came to us from the giver of life, God, the creator through Jesus. And light, consciousness, to know yourself is the gift of Jesus. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. God is speaking through men's conscience to this day. God is speaking to his creation. God is getting our attention. He is getting us to wake up and to see what he has done for us. And so what are you facing today? What is something that you think is going to be around for a while? What is a problem that you see that just seems unbeatable in your life? Let me tell you something. Jesus was before that problem and Jesus will be there after that problem. What is something today that you fear, that you're just so afraid of? Jesus was there before that fear, and he'll be there after that fear. The light that he has put inside of you now, breathed into you by the Holy Spirit, you have become the light of the world. It is not just a, 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 a outside a Holy Spirit convicting you. It is an inward regeneration of your entire being on the inside, sharing in that divine life. Your spirit is now intermingled with the divine spirit. Listen to me, my friends. You are now in union with Christ. What fear do you have that his light cannot shine brighter than? We, we associate fear with darkness. We, we are afraid of things we don't understand, right? We're afraid of the spider because we're, we're not used to the spider. We don't comprehend the spider. We have not become familiar with the spider. We haven't spent enough time with the spider. We're afraid of the snake because we haven't held the snake. And so when you go to the zoo, like with my children, what do they want to do? They want to give you the snake. They want to let you hold the snake. They hold the alligator on the swamp tour in New Orleans, right? Why? Because through the knowledge of that thing comes light and the fear dissipates. You're afraid of flying. They, they want you to understand what, what, what um, 
you know, aerodynamic is and aviation and all of these things and understand how the thing stays in the sky. It's just as natural as a boat on water and, and the, the pilot, for some people who are afraid, will even let you, or they used to let, let you see the controls and let you understand this is what's going on, you know, and then you get on the plane and maybe you're a little afraid and then it, and then it settles in and, and you begin to get used to it and then you, you land and you do it again and you do it again. And the fear, the darkness of the unknown of flying begins to dissipate. But there are things that we think that are even scarier than that. Losing our loved ones. I think about losing my mom or my dad. What a darkness that would be. What a fearful thing that would be. I've never lost someone that close to me. How will I be in that day? But what does my Jesus say to me? He says, I was there in the beginning, and I'll be there at the end, and all these things in between. My light will overcome that darkness. The light, of over, the light of Jesus overcomes darkness. And so when you put this all together, I like to imagine myself without any of these problems. And so I imagine what I'll be like in the future when all of these problems are gone and I'm with Jesus. And then I begin to think, when I'm with Jesus... And all my problems have gone, and I'm with him, and every tear has been wiped away. I'll be sharing in his nature, face to face, that he's had this whole time. He's had it this whole time. He's had it from the very beginning. There was never an arm wrestling between him and Satan. There was never a time when heaven was like, whoa, what are we going to do? And so what I want to do now is I want to participate in that peace now. That is the peace we participate in. You participate in the peace by knowing that all my problems will be solved in the future because before there ever was a problem, there was him, and after these problems, there's still going to be him. Does that make sense? That's, that is the best way that I can kind of summarize why this just blows my mind. And, and when I think about in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He created all of these things, and in Him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I get that kind of peace. What are you facing today? What problems seem to be insurmountable? I don't think that there's anything that you could ever face where the light of Christ will not shine brighter than it. There's no darkness that you could ever face that's brighter, uh, that is going to... you know, overcome Jesus' light. You know, just somehow, I, I can't even describe it because there's no even word. Extinguish would be the word, but there's no way for darkness to even extinguish light. You could be in the darkest place in the universe, and anytime light enters in there, it, there it is. Now, we might be able to study maybe something like a black hole or something. Maybe can, can, can light exist in a black hole? I don't know. But here's the thing. God created light first before he even created the universe. Do you understand that? Let that blow your mind. Because some people think that, oh, that just shows the Bible to be silly. But no, this shows me that the light of God is greater than even what we would consider light to be in the known universe. So there are literally two kinds of light, an earthly kind of light that would maybe be measured, this kind of light. Then there's the kind of light that God had. God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is before there was a sun. Do you understand? This is before any of those things. 
And so now this kind of mess is what they call the day-age theory of evolution because some of the evolution people try to say, well, we believe in creation. We don't believe in uh you know, evolution not guided by God, but we believe that God used it and God did these things with it. And so they'll say the days of creation could mean uh, time periods and that these uh, time periods are symbolic of these things that happen. Well, the first problem that you have is that light comes before sun, that light comes before stars. That light comes before any of those things. And so what does that teach us? They, they make fun of us for it, but that, this is what it teaches us, is that light is greater. God's light is, first of all, greater than even our particles of light. But I love to use the light that we can measure through particles as an example. Do we have any questions about this? I'll look that up for you right here. Can light exist in black holes? <laughs> That's a neat question to ask, isn't it? Let me show this right here. Can light exist in black holes? Frequently, here we go. Uh, nothing travels speaks well. How can a black hole pulls light into itself? Can you see what does a hole? Um, Okay. Nothing. Okay, not light. So there can be light in a black hole, but it looks like it can't escape a black hole. And this is all theoretical, obviously, right now. We don't know for sure. So how many know God's light is greater than a black hole? His light was there before the black hole was even created. Let's see right here about black holes. Let's see everything we've been taught is wrong. Let's see here, you know. However, scientists. Although a black hole will never emit an astronaut or a table or a chair, okay. Maybe raised at the microscope quantum level, they can escape black holes. Okay, any questions about what we've learned today before we pray? I like learning about these things. My kids and I learn these things. There's no escape from a black Why can't light escape a black hole? So light can't escape a black hole, but it, it is trapped in a black hole. That's what we're learning here. So it can't exist in a black hole. A black hole cannot do away with light. We will hold on to that right now. That might preach, but if you don't know what you're talking about, a scientist will come up to you and be like, no black holes can destroy light, you know? You know what I'm saying? And it's Because not even a black hole can destroy the light of God. He went into the devil's dungeon. He tore, you know, you get into all of that, and then it's like, no, black holes destroy light, you know? But that's why I wanted you guys to understand that before there was what we would consider natural light, there was the light of God. There was the illumination of God. Now, some people believe that God may have done natural light through another source other than a sun or star, and others, like myself, believe that he actually 
brightened himself and used light emanating from himself to see that it was good, that light came from him and it existed. And this, this can go on into a whole nother different conversation known as panantheonism. Remember we talked about that last time, coming out of God. It's, uh, the, the universe is not God himself. That's pantheism, but it's from God, panantheism. So it is connected to him in that way. And uh, just because we have a little bit uh, left over time here, let me go uh, to, to the video on panantheism so you guys can just at least see the graphic here. It's hard for me to see it right here. Okay, here we go. Panantheism, an inspiring philosophy is the, is the video. Yeah, here we go. So we won't uh, play the whole thing here. But uh, let me just show you the graphic. Here we go. This is, this is how we would believe it. Do you all see this right here? So we would say that uh, some people, dualistic theism, and this is kind of how I was taught, is that it's just totally separate, not related at all. And then there's this weaker panentheism and then stronger where God in the universe and then pantheism where God equals the universe. I really like this because of scriptures like that because it's like, you know, we know that God created it out of nothing in the sense of no prior materials. That's called ex nihilo, out of nothing. But, but where does God, where does the universe get its substance from? Does God create substance out of nothing? Uh, in that sense, and I don't think so. I, I think nothing other than God. That's what I would mean by ex nihilo. So it's God's power. And then the scriptures that I have for that are um, are quite a bit of scriptures because it says for um, because the Bible says through Him and for Him are all things. Remember that scripture: for from Him and through Him are all things. How many remember that? Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You all get that right there? So that's where I believe like from him comes out the universe, from him. It's not directly him, but it comes out from him. And, and, and this is where I would say it's distinct from him like the Apple computer is distinct from Steve Jobs. But the difference between that analogy and actually God and the creation is this computer had to come from somewhere, the uh, materials. And when you break down everything that we're finding on the smallest level, where did that come from? And so I believe it came from God's power and it's emanating from him. It's being sustained by him. Um, but it is not him because he, he is a person. He's not an inanimate you know, just like inanimate object. He is not like the force of um, Star Wars. And that's where we differ with um, that kind of philosophy, that Eastern philosophy, because they believe that God is the force and is, is one with the universe. Well, a force can never initiate anything. Electricity cannot turn itself on and off. And so to have a beginning, and we know through the Big Bang there's a beginning, though I don't agree with the time frame and all the evolutionary uh, implications, we know that the universe had a beginning. And so how does something go from not 
existing to existing, from beginning, not, not having a beginning and a start to having a start. That's a decision. Decisions are made by minds, right? And then how do we have a mind? And, and, we, and I've said this further today, that mind does not come from matter. Your brain is made of matter, just those things that we're talking about, but mind does not come from that. You're made uniquely in the image of God. So I think that this is what I was trying to share with you guys a couple weeks ago. I do have a lot more to share with you in the book of John. We'll start tag teaming with the Sunday services. But I just wanted to really emphasize that to you and just let you know when I meditate and I close my eyes and I think about that scripture, it's so amazing. And let's just see in closing here, let's see if I can do it in Greek because that's also been one of my things is to uh, memorize it in Greek. Isn't that pretty cool? Okay. So let's see here. Okay. Okay. Okay, in the beginning was the word. In RK, in Hologos. In RK, in Hologos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Kai, and the Kai Hologos, in, in Tantheon. No, Pras Tantheon. Prostantheon, um, Kai, and the word was God, Kai, Hologos, and Theos. Right? Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's how they would have said it originally back then. Here's another thing to understand is that um, the concept of the Logos was also known in Greek philosophy. And so what, there, there was kind of like this idea uh, from Plato and from people that had come earlier that uh, whatever would exist, whatever would be the, 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 pre, uh, the, the pre-mortal, preeminent force of the universe would be thought, would be mind, would be word, that kind of thing. And, it, and it's somewhat similar, not exactly, somewhat similar to the Hindu idea of Om, uh, of this sound that comes from Brahma that creates everything. And uh, let me just show you that here with the Om. Uh, this, this idea in Hinduism, uh, there are some similarities, and if you meet kind of a, a Hindu person, uh, they may try to tell you, uh, you know, sometimes like the, um, the Hare Krishnas will try to tell you that this is similar to our Logos, but it is different in some ways. Uh, but here we go. The Om here refers to, let me make it a little bigger so we can see it. Uh, the Om is referred to as Pravmana, others used as whatever that word is. Uh, the symbol Om is first mentioned in the Upanishads, the mystical text associated with the Vedanta philosophy. Uh, okay, and uh, okay, and it's a cosmic sound, cosmic sound, mystical sig- sig- symbol, uh, affirmation of something divine. Um, and so let me just show you here. Uh, maybe this will make it a little bit easier if I show you somebody's argument. The Om like the word. And I'll put Jesus and I'll put John 1 1. You'll find some article that will come up that will make this comparison. Uh, the Om. Yeah, here we go. The yoga book. Exactly. You are very fast with that. The mantra om, the mystical primordial sound om, 
is at the root of all mantras. It is the origin of all other sounds and contains all sounds. The cosmic sound of Om is called in Sanskrit the Pramana, the Pranava. In the Vedic scriptures, it is said that Brahman, the absolute reality, pure consciousness, revealed itself originally as a sound. The first sound was Om. Therefore, Om is the closest symbol of God for depending on the concentration of mind leading to the realization of the supreme reality. In the Bible, do you see this here? In the Bible, and this is called the Yoga Book, A Practical and Spiritual Guide to Self-Realization. In the Bible, we read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God's. This means that before creation, nothing existed except God the Father's pure spirit, ever existing, ever conscious, ever new bliss. God created the universe and everything in it through His Word, which is, which is God, the cosmic sound vibration, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. God the Father or Christ intelligence guides the com cosmic vibration to create all finite matter. Now, do you see how they misinterpreted our scriptures? See, here's a perfect example. Tell me where they are wrong here. Tell me where they are wrong. Tell me how, how they were wrong in interpreting John chapter 1, if you really understand John 1 as a Bible college student. Correct. Well, the vibration is going to be the Holy Spirit, right? But you are very close. Keep going with it. Exactly. They don't acknowledge that Jesus existed with the Father. Why is that a problem for them? Yes, but why is that a problem? Why don't they want to acknowledge Jesus as a separate person? Yep. Jesus is eternal, exactly. So what? The, and I, next time I probably should get the microphone for you guys. The problem this poses for them right here is that they only want Brahman to be God divine. They only want Brahman to be our equivalent of the Father. So they become sabellianists here now with our text. The Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit are all just emanations from, uh, you know, the, the Father is Brahman and the Word and uh, the Holy Spirit are just emanations of the Father. Do you get that? Uh, the Father speaks, that's his word. That's the Om. Brahman speaks, Om. Father speaks, word. Do you get it? The vibration, Holy Spirit. Vibration, Christ conscious, uh, uh, you know, Krishna consciousness or whatever they'll call it, you know, that, that uh, um, Christ, no, not there, but no, no, don't help me now, please. Um, uh, they're going to call, um, man, I can, I can feel the vibe, vibrations, things like that, uh, but there's another word for it. So spiritual. Like the, so basically the Father is Brahman. He speaks the word, and then uh, through that comes the Holy Spirit, the vibrations, the, the presence. Let's call it the presence. That's what I was trying to say. Aura, there you go, something like an aura. That's another way of describing presence. That's right. But you see, they denied what that passage says. So do I have to know everything about Hinduism to knock this down? No, all I need to do is hear from a Hindu. Okay, if you're saying this is your belief, if this is your belief, I know it's wrong. Because the Om is not the Word. In the beginning was the Word, a separate person from Brahman. A separate person, not Brahman. Jesus. Jesus. And then that Jesus, the Word, came in the flesh, died for our cross, rose again on the third day. You better bow your knee before him. You see how powerful that is? But like I said, can you go get the door for me, please, Joby? 
like I said, though, is that it's similar, similar to that concept, similar to the concept of the pagans with the Logos and how they thought of concept and word predating the universe, right? Isn't that something? But this is the true explanation. You know what, you know what C.S. Lewis called the Bible? The true myth. All the other ones are imitations of this. At some point, there has to be the original that everybody's making copies from, right? And so here we see that this is the original. This is the original. Any questions before we close out? I thought I heard knocking. Any questions? Yep, and that was from the book. Um, the Yoga Book, A Practical Guide to Self-Realization and Going to Hell. <laughs> no, you want to know yourself, know Jesus. Because Jesus gave you your life. See yourself in Jesus. Be born again. Well, first we see ourselves in Jesus and how, how we're not like him. Do you remember when you came to Jesus and you were death and he was life? And you felt all of that conviction, but yet then you felt all that love and grace because you knew that light overcame darkness, that love overcame all the hate, that Jesus really brought you to conviction. Isn't that amazing? Amen. He says he's at the front door. I'm at a parking lot waiting for my car. I'll wait in my car. So go out and get his car, please. Um, I'll just text him say, come to the back. Thank you. Can you shut me down there in the back? God bless everyone that joined us today. Hopefully you'll get something out of it. If I said anything that was wrong at the beginning, please listen to the whole thing so it will clarify it. All right, thank you. Oh, you know what? Let me do it here, bro. Actually, I can do it right here. I'm sorry. Let me do it here, and I'll let you do that. Thank you. <laughs>